Therapy and mental health is still very much so stigmatized in our society and more so the black community, but it should not be that way. There is no shame in needing help and to put it plainly, taking steps to heal is one of the most courageous things we can do. What is going on, beautiful people? You are listening to the Affirmations for Black Girls podcast, where we focus on personal growth and cultivating a healthy relationship with ourselves. I am your host, Tired of the Creative, actress, content creator, and mental health enthusiast. Y'all, we are in week six of the Childhood Trauma Series, and we have two episodes left, today's episode and next week's episode. So today, let's talk about therapy and the types of therapy that are most effective for healing from childhood trauma. But before we dive in, I want to remind you that healing is possible, no matter how distant or how far-fetched it may feel or seem, and there is absolutely no shame in getting help in the form of therapy. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into our affirmation of the week. So this week's affirmation is, I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. Ooh, I love that. Let's drop in, you guys. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. Just feel what that feel what that feels like for you. What does it feel like for your mental health to be healed? What does the process of healing look like? Let's drop in and say it one last time together. I am in the process of healing my mental health for good. Oh, you guys, that is an amazing affirmation because sometimes healing can feel so far-fetched. It can feel like it is never going to happen, but... One thing that I want to say is that something that I believe is healing is not a destination. It is a journey. And I know you got, if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me say that before. And I used to think that healing was a destination. And when I thought about it that way, it just always felt so far. It felt like it was not in my arm's reach. It felt like 
shoot, maybe I wasn't going to heal. But when I learned that healing is actually a journey and there's going to be valleys and there's going to be peaks and there's going to be times where you are celebrating and times where you're convicted in your healing process and know that you still have more things to work on. I think what makes me super excited about the healing process is knowing that it's a journey and you want to experience the journey because every part of your process, your healing process is important and we should celebrate every moment. We should celebrate the the highs. We should also celebrate the lows because there's something so beautiful about reflecting on how we are in those situations and then saying to ourselves, wow, look how far I have come. Even though I've hit another valley, I'm not in that same valley I was in last week. I'm not in that same valley I was in last year. And that's a beautiful thing. So today's episode is going to be a little different. Today, I'm going to give a lot of definitions, a lot of examples, and really just be a resource for you guys who have listened to the childhood trauma series and you said, okay, Tyra, I know what childhood trauma is. I have identified where my trauma stems from, and now I am equipped with the knowledge to want to go to therapy or learn about um, you know, healing and possibly going to therapy. So the first thing I want to talk about a little bit is mental health issues that adults who experience trauma in childhood can work on in therapy. Now I'm going at this entire series y'all as an adult because I am now 28 years old and I want to look at it from from that perspective, because I didn't even really realize that I had childhood trauma until I was an adult. So there are a few mental health related issues that I want to touch on. And I want to give a blanket disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I am not a therapist. I'm just a girl who is adamant about becoming the best version of herself. And I've done a little bit of my own research and I want to emphasize a little bit. But I also want to say that this list that I'm going to give you throughout this episode is not extensive. It is just a little bit of research and everybody's situation is different. So with that being said, the first mental health issue I want to touch on um, of something that you can work on in therapy and while you're listening to this, I just want you to take time to reflect and do a little bit of inventory checking and say, hey, am I dealing with this? Have I ever dealt with this? Is this something that, you know, stands out to me? So number one is a distorted self-perception. And a distorted self-perception is when someone has a distorted self-image. It means how they see themselves is inaccurate. Our self-image or self-concept not only includes our physical appearances, but it can also include our beliefs we have about our own abilities, our talents and our values or etc. And this can stem from childhood trauma, especially if you were someone who dealt with a lot of verbal abuse or felt like they weren't good enough based on the trauma they experienced. The second one I want to talk about, the second mental health issue, 
is shame and guilt. And I personally dealt with this. Well, I dealt with this and the next one we're going to talk about a lot with my childhood trauma. Um, I haven't even really dove into another aspect of my childhood trauma, but my parents divorce. Um, long story short, my parents were married until I was in the ninth grade. They ended up getting a divorce, but my home life was very hard and emotionally. So emotions were always high. It was a very stressful household just off of the strength that my parents, um, I don't, you know, still to this day, don't even know the whole story around why they were so stressed, but it was a lot of stress, a lot of arguing, a lot of just verbal abuse in a sense of yelling and screaming. They didn't, they really never called each other names or anything like that, but the fighting is really what got to me. And so shame and guilt, researchers have theorized that the experience of shame following a traumatic event may lead you to use unhealthy coping strategies such as avoidance, which I did, or self-destructive behaviors, which I also did, which can interfere with your ability to process the emotions associated with the traumatic event you experienced. Now, I felt a lot of shame and guilt because um, so my dad was cheating on my mom. I don't know anything about her situation if she was cheating or anything like that. And the reason I know this is because I was playing a game on my daddy's phone one day and I saw a message pop up from a lady that was not my mom saying that he loved him, that she loved him. And being the child that I was, I just deleted it because I said, I'm going to make this go away. And I became like a part of what was going on. My daddy never said anything to me about it, but I became that person that was deleting things out of the phone. So I felt a lot of shame and guilt around my parents' divorce because I knew something was happening. But in my mind, I'm deleting it. I'm getting rid of it. It's not happening. So um, when I was feeling this shame and guilt, around my parents' divorce, I did avoid a lot. And that has a lot to do with my attachment styles, my attachment style that I am working working on right now. But I did avoid, and I did a lot of self-destructive behaviors. I would um, not listen to my mom. I would, you know, sneak out of the house and all of those types of things. And I do think that my behavior stemmed from this traumatic event for me. The next mental health um, issue I want to touch on is self-blame, blaming yourself for what happened. And I want to say this for anyone who has felt that it was your fault, whatever your trauma was, whatever happened to you, whatever you experienced, it was not, is not, and never will be your fault. And I know that's easier said than done to believe that, but I'm telling you right now, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And you have to keep saying that to yourself until you believe it, because that is exactly what I had to do. I felt like, you know, if I was a good child, maybe mom and daddy wouldn't have to, you know, fight. I wouldn't be adding fuel to the fire and things would settle down in the house. Like I was trying everything in my little childlike mind to figure out what I could do to make my home life a little better. And now that I'm older, I know that I, I couldn't do anything better. I was a child in this situation. So 
the next one I want to touch on is chronic physical pain. So chronic physical pain is when you have pain that is ongoing. Um, most of the time this is induced by stress. I have talked to my therapist about this because I've had chronic physical pain um, more so recently in 20. 19, I started to experience this. So uh, for me, it was my stress levels were so high and my stress was so bad that it became physical. So in 2019, I went to Italy for my 25th birthday. And I don't know what happened. But after I left Italy, I developed horrible in flight anxiety. Now I already had a little bit of flight anxiety and it was, you know, I could deal with it. But after Italy, I started having bad dreams and I would get so stressed out and anxious just from booking a flight. And I remember I was booking a flight um, to go to New York and it was during the pandemic, which is, was, was also a big thing. So after booking this flight, I just felt like I had gotten hit by a Mack truck. I had this horrible pain in my back that would not go away. I ended up going to the chiropractor. That did not really help. And I was like, what is going on? So I ended up talking to my therapist about it. And she told me that stress can become physical. And when she told me that, I started to just make sure that I was paying attention to my stress levels in a um, in relation to how I was feeling physically. And I realized that it was 100% stress related. So from that point on, I tried to put coping mechanisms in place, breathing or listening to a soothing calm story. I absolutely love the calm app. Um, they have so many sleep stories, meditations and all of that. And it really helps bring me down from a stressful place. But chronic physical pain is also an you may have said chronic physical pain. How is that mental health related? But it's mental health related due to stress. The next mental health issue I would like to touch on is anxiety. So we like to throw around the word anxiety and we like to throw around a lot of words dealing with mental health and we don't truly, sometimes we don't truly know the definition. So I do want to give an actual definition to these words. So anxiety is a feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness. It might cause you to sweat, feel restless and tense, and have a rapid heartbeat. It can be a normal reaction to stress. Now, there is anxiety, which everyone has, but then there's chronic anxiety and stuff that we'll touch on a little later. But I wanted you guys to have the actual definition of the word anxiety because I just hear like in this day and age, we are just so desensitized to words and we just throw them out there for anything. Like it, it's honestly ridiculous. I was trying to think of an example, but I literally can't think of an example right now. But I'm going to give you a few symptoms of anxiety, feeling nervous or restless or tense, having a sense of impending danger, panic or doom, having an increased heart rate breathing rapidly like hyperventilation, sweating, trembling, feeling weak or tired, and trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry. Now, you might be saying, okay, Tyra, well, if it's not anxiety, then what is it? You may just be nervous because 
there is, you know, just nervousness that lasts for a little while, but anxiety is like nervousness times a thousand. And that's just me saying that that's not like a clinical definition, but being nervous alone and having anxiety are two totally different things. And I want to make sure that we're able to differentiate between the two. Now let's talk about the next one, which is depression. This is okay. So back to the example I was trying to give, a lot of people will say, oh my God, I'm so depressed that I couldn't go to that pool party. No, you're not depressed. You are sad. You may be a little upset. You may be a little jealous, but you're not depressed. And that's what I mean by in this day and age, we just throw around words and we don't really even know the gravity of what we are saying. There are people who really experience depression. And I have been so much more cognizant about saying things like this because in society, we kind of like take on the same slang and the same, um, just the same slogans. And we don't really realize what we're saying because we're just all using the trendy things to say. But saying that you're depressed, that you can't go to a pool party or an event or whatever, that's a little too much. So depression or major depressive disorder is a common and serious medical illness that negatively affects how you feel, the way you think, and how you act. But the good news is it is treatable, y'all. So depression causes feelings of sadness and or the loss of interest in activities that you once enjoyed. It can lead to a variety of emotional and physical problems, and it can decrease your ability to function at work and at home. Depression symptoms can vary from mild to severe, and they can include any of these, any of the following, feeling sad or having a depressed mood, loss of interest or pleasure in activities that you once enjoyed, changes in your appetite, which will cause weight loss or gain unrelated to dieting, trouble sleeping or or sleeping too much, loss of energy or increased fatigue, Increase in purposeless physical activity, like the inability to sit still, pacing or hand wringing, or you know how people will just like tap their knee really fast when they're just sitting, like they're waiting on something or they need something to hurry up, cracking your knuckles, anything like that, or slow movements in your speech. These actions must be severe enough to be observable by others. They can't just be, you know, a one-off thing for it to be considered depression. There's also feeling worthless or guilty, difficulty thinking, concentrating, or making decisions, and thoughts of death or suicide. Now, these symptoms must last at least two weeks and must represent a change in your previous level of functioning for a diagnosis of depression. But also don't take this as a diagnosis, y'all, because like I said, I am not a doctor and there are other medical conditions like thyroid problems and brain tumors or even a vitamin deficiency that can mimic some of these symptoms of depression. So it is important to rule out general medical causes as well. Now, here is a stat that blew my mind about depression. Depression affects an estimated 1 in 15 adults, which is almost 7% in any given year. And 1 in 6 people, that's almost 17%, will experience depression at some time in their life. And even though that's not like 50%, 80%, that's still a lot of people. 
there's billions of people on the, on the planet. That's still a lot of people that will experience depression. And that just goes back to my overarching message. You are not alone. So the next issue I would like to touch on is issues with sleep. So you're restless, you can't sleep at night, you have insomnia, or you sleep way too much. Um, For me, I have these things called night terrors and night terrors are y'all nightmares on a thousand. They're very, very bad dreams. And what I realized, I would actually love to do a, a full episode on night terrors because they are actually not common in adults. And fun fact, I had my most recent night terror was actually this week. Well, it's Sunday when you're listening to this, but I'm, I'm filming this on Saturday but I had my last night terror on Thursday, Wednesday night into Thursday morning. And they are induced by stress. And I have been a little stressed, not a little, I've been a lot stressed this last week, but the best way I can describe night terrors is you can feel everything that's going on in your dream. It's hard to wake up out of the dream and they are reoccurring. And for me, my night terrors have grown. They evolve. And it's very scary because it just feels like I am, my body is in that situation. And it's very hard to wake myself up out of it. Like, for example, if you've ever been in a dream, you're like, oh, I'm dreaming. Imagine if you say, okay, it's time to wake up and you can wake yourself up. But I can't always do that. Sometimes I will know that I'm in a dream for a very long time with the bad stuff still happening before I can actually wake myself up. And it is very scary. Um, So next is chronic stress. And chronic stress is just like we were talking about the chronic physical pain. It is prolonged stress. So If you are saying to yourself, I always feel stressed, I'm always stressed out about this, or oh my gosh, I just want to relax because I've been stressed every single day, it may be chronic stress. So paying attention to your stress levels is very, very, very important, and it can be linked to your childhood trauma. And the last issue I would like to touch on is issues in your jobs or relationships. So you have trouble getting along with people, trouble trusting people, trouble working together as a team, being consistent, following through with the things you said you would follow through with. You're irritable, you're frustrated, you just downright hate your job, or you are not being a great friend, a great mom, a great dad, a great brother, sister, you know, you're not being a great person in this relationship with this other person that you or that you act, you love, and you're saying to yourself, why do I feel this way? Now, it can be that you actually hate your job or that you don't really, you know, like the person, but if you're feeling unenthused about being there or can't figure out why you're unmotivated like you used to because you used to love this person or you used to love this job, it could be linked to your childhood trauma and it is worth exploring. 
So y'all know I am all about self-care. One of my favorite self-care activities is meditation. I've been using a meditation and sleep app called Calm that I think you guys would really like. I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast a few times and I personally love the sleep stories. They're the perfect way to wind down and drift off to sleep after a long day. And to be honest, I recommend the ones that are actually for kids the most because they have the fun voices, music, and sound effects. I wanna help you experience the joy meditation brings to my life. So I'm giving you a seven day free trial of the app. Head to the link in the show notes to check out the Calm app and prepare to be more calm on a daily basis. So next, let's talk about some common mental illnesses and diagnosis. So a lot of people deal with childhood trauma. And when you deal with childhood trauma and you have unresolved childhood trauma or trauma in general, it can lead to other mental illnesses and diagnosis because it has been unresolved. And we've talked about this before, but The first one I want to touch on is post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. I feel like a lot of us have heard about PTSD, but I want to give a definition. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is an anxiety disorder that can develop after experiencing trauma. PTSD symptoms are generally grouped into four types, intrusive memories, avoidance, negative changes in thinking and mood, and changes in physical and emotional reactions. Symptoms can vary over time or vary from person to person. So I'll give you a couple of examples of each. Intrusive memories. These will be things like recurrent, unwanted, distressing memories of the traumatic event or reliving the traumatic event as if it were happening again. Flashbacks. Then you have avoidance. Some symptoms of avoidance may include trying to avoid thinking or talking about the traumatic event or suppressing that event or avoiding places, activities, or people that remind you of the traumatic event. And I just want to stop here for a second because sometimes we will avoid things in life because we're like, nope, I'm better than that. Make sure that it is not related to your trauma? Are you avoiding something because deep down it scares you, deep down it triggers you, deep down it makes you feel some type of way? We need to unpack that. Don't avoid it any longer. Get some help, get a therapist, write it out in a journal, whatever you want to do, because opening that box will just lift so much stress off of your shoulders, even though it may not feel like that in the moment it will honestly be a huge step forward for you. So the next type of symptom um, is negative changes in your thinking and your mood. So some symptoms of negative changes in your thinking and mood may include negative thoughts about yourself, other people, or the world, hopelessness about the future, memory problems, including not remembering important aspects of the traumatic event, and difficulty maintaining close relationships. And the last symptom, the overall grouping of symptoms that I want to touch on for PTSD is changes in physical and emotional reactions. So 
Symptoms of changes in your physical and emotional reactions, which are also called arousal symptoms, may include being easily startled or frightened, always being on guard for danger. And I want to touch on this um, for a second. I think I've brought this up in a very early episode of my podcast, but um, back in 2018, I lost one of my cousins to gun violence. And he was at my grandma's house, which is where he lived when it happened. And my great grandmother was home. She was in the same room that we lost him in. And she was, she endured all of the gun violence that was happening. And something that I noticed about her is she definitely has PTSD, but being from the South and she's an older black woman she didn't believe in going to therapy. So she still hasn't been to therapy to this day. My mom, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles have, you know, tried to encourage her to go to therapy, but she just doesn't want to do it. But I know one of her symptoms of PTSD is being easily startled or frightened. I remember, oh my gosh, this was um, last year. I went home for the holidays and she was sitting in the living room at my mom's house and we live in a new house now and there's hardwood floors. So um, we were just standing in the kitchen talking while she was sitting in the living room area and it's all, you know, a big open area. And my brother dropped his keys on the hardwood floor and it was like the TV wasn't on or anything. So it made a loud like boom sound and she jumped And she immediately started to just cry and wail. And my aunt ended up having to take her home. And I just felt so bad. And my brother apologized and all of that. But um, we were just like, oh, my gosh, because she was just, you know, talking to us, smiling and things like that. So being easily startled or frightened, I think, is one of the most prominent um, symptoms of PTSD. And I know that it's something that my grandma is dealing with. And she obviously endured something very horrific, but it's worth diving deeper into. So you don't live like that for the rest of your life. So with that being said, the symptoms, um, being easily startled or frightened, always being on guard for danger. There's also self-destructive behavior like drinking too much or driving too fast, trouble sleeping, trouble concentrating, irritability, angry outbursts or aggressive behavior, overwhelming guilt or shame. And for children who are like six years old or younger, signs and symptoms may also include reenacting the traumatic event or aspects of the traumatic event through play or even frightening dreams that may or may not include aspects of that traumatic event. So that's PTSD in a nutshell as far as I'm going to dive in today. But next I want to talk about some eating disorders that can be associated with your childhood trauma. The first one is anorexia nervosa. A lot of people just call it anorexia. And people with anorexia will deny themselves food to the point of self-starvation as they obsess about weight loss. Then there is bulimia nervosa. 
People living with bulimia will feel out of control when binging on very large amounts of food during short periods of time and then desperately try to rid themselves of the extra calories used using forced vomiting, abusive laxatives, or excessive exercise. And then the last one we're going to touch on in the eating disorder category is binge eating disorder or BED, B-E-D. A person with binge eating disorder loses control over their eating and eats a very large amount of food in a short period of time. They may also eat large amounts of food even when they aren't hungry or after they are uncomfortably full. Now, I haven't personally experienced an eating disorder. So that's as far into this that I can go. But if you feel convicted by me saying any of that, please, please, please do a little research on your own. Look look up these eating disorders or look up the symptoms that you are having just to see if there are resources out there that can help you. So the last type of common mental illnesses and diagnosis I want to talk about are anxiety disorders. So we're going to talk about four anxiety disorders today. And the first one is generalized anxiety disorder. So generalized anxiety disorder usually involves a persistent feeling of anxiety or dread, which can interfere with daily life. It's not the same as occasionally worrying about things or experiencing anxiety due to stressful life events. Sometimes, Because what I want to say about that is we all experience anxiety from time to time, but an anxiety disorder is when you are constantly and persistently having anxiety or an anxiety anxiety attacks and things of that nature. The second type of anxiety disorder is panic disorder. People with panic disorder have frequent and unexpected panic attacks. Panic attacks are sudden periods of intense fear, discomfort, or sense of losing control even when there is no clear danger or a trigger. But Not everyone who experiences a panic attack will develop panic disorder. I've had panic attacks in the past. I've had probably like five in my entire life. So during a panic attack, a person may experience pounding or racing heart, sweating, trembling or tingling, maybe in your fingertips or your legs, chest pain, feelings of impending doom, and feelings of being out of control. I remember... One the the biggest panic attack that I remember, um, <laughs> I was home. Um, I was still in college at the time, and I went home. And y'all, fun fact about me: I have this crazy bad fear for roaches. I'm from a small country town, so roaches was everywhere. And I want to preface this by saying, your house don't have to be dirty for there to be roaches. I know a lot of y'all probably live in big cities, so you know, but roaches be roaching, okay? So I remember we were getting ready for church one morning and I happened to see a roach in the living room and I was like, oh my God, there's a roach. I don't know what to do because my heart already started pounding in. I was like, nope, I'm going into my room, going into my room, going into my room, about to go take a bath. I'm about to get ready to church. Oh my God. And I was so terrified of them that I would just be like frozen in fear when they would like be around and stuff. So 
let me hurry up and wrap this story up because I can feel my skin already like tingling. So long story short, y'all got in the shower, got out of the shower. I was getting ready to go uh, to get dressed and I still had my towel on and my mom came to the back to ask me a question or something. And as she turned around and was talking to me, I was just standing in my room and I felt something run across my foot. Now I'm going to preface this with by saying, this is not the first time one of these things has been on my body and it's happened outside. It's happened inside. It's happened at my house. Well, this was the first time it happened at my house. It's happened at other people's houses. And they're like the, the big ones that, um, you know, your house is dirty. If you have like a bunch of the little ones or whatever, that's what people say, but we lived in the woods. So these ones that we would have, they were literally called like wood roaches, right? So long story short, the thing runs across my foot. I see it. My mom ends up like killing it uh, eventually, but I started hyperventilating so bad and she just had to sit there with me for like 15 minutes because I just could not calm myself down. And when I started to panic, I started panicking more because I was panicking because I didn't know why I was panicking so much. So with that being said, like there's always things that we can panic about. And if you do have panic attacks, you're not alone. And like I said, not everyone who experiences panic attacks because all of these things that we're, we're touching on, some of the symptoms are common and they only become an issue or require a diagnosis when they are prolonged and persistent. So I want you to keep that in mind um, because, you know, sometimes when you're on websites like WebMD, you start to become a hypochondriac and think that everything is wrong with you because of the symptoms and stuff like that. So I really want you guys to continue to take everything that I'm saying with a grain of salt and take the things that's for you, look into it a little bit, unpack it, but things that are not for you, leave it there. Don't dive deep into it if you don't think you have, you know, panic disorder or generalized anxiety disorder because we all have anxiety from time to time and we all panic from time to time. Those are very normal things. Now, the next one we're going to touch on is social anxiety disorder. And I feel like we hear a lot about this, especially around the college age or school, school age children. But social anxiety disorder is an intense, persistent fear of being watched and judged by others. For people with social anxiety disorder, the fear of social situations may feel so intense that it seems beyond their control. For some people, this fear may get in the way of going to work, attending school, or doing everyday things. And the last one we're going to touch on is phobia-related disorders. So a phobia is an intense fear of or aversion to specific objects or situations. For example, claustrophobia is the fear of enclosed rooms or small spaces. And agoraphobia is the fear of crowded public spaces. Now, I haven't experienced either of these social anxiety or phobias. Well, maybe I have a phobia of roaches. I'll have to look into that a little bit. But that's why I'm just giving you guys the definition. I, I don't have any personal experience to add to that. So if this does convict you like, hey, I may be experiencing something along these lines, take a beat, 
look up some resources online and do a little more of a deep dive for yourself. And the last two common mental illnesses and diagnosis that I want to touch on are major depressive disorder, which is clinical depression. This has to be diagnosed. We already touched on it. And then there's substance and alcohol use disorder. So people who are dealing with, you know, hard drugs and alcohol abuse and things of that nature would fall into this category. I haven't personally dealt with any of this or know people close to me that have. So if you do think, if you, you know, if you feel convicted about it, definitely take a second and do some more research on it. Now, there are a lot of types of therapy out there, and today we're going to dive into some types of therapy that are used specifically for childhood trauma. So the first one that I wanted to touch on is one that I have actually learned a lot about through therapy with better help. Um, since I started going to therapy, I was going to, th- to therapy through better help and they have these group where you can learn a lot about the world of therapy. So I took a few classes on cognitive processing therapy or CPT. And cognitive processing therapy is a specific type of cognitive behavioral therapy that has been effective in reducing symptoms of PTSD that have developed after experiencing a variety of traumatic events, including child abuse, combat, rape, and natural disasters. CPT is generally delivered over 12 sessions, and it helps patients learn how to challenge and modify unhelpful beliefs related to the trauma. In doing so, the patient creates a new understanding and conceptualization of the traumatic event so that it reduces its ongoing negative effects on current life. This treatment is strongly recommended for the treatment of PTSD. Now, throughout this segment, I'm just going to go through a few types of therapy, and I really want this to be a segment where you're kind of window shopping for the types of therapy that you're interested in. So if you're like, okay, CPT sound cool, I may look at that a little bit, but it may not be the perfect thing for me. There's also trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy or TF-CBT. So trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy is an evidence-based treatment. And it's normally for, this form of therapy is mainly used for kids, but there are trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapies for adults as well. And this is an evidence-based treatment that helps children address the negative effects of the trauma they experience, including processing their traumatic memories. And if you ha- are you, if you are in a place where you're like, I really need to actually process these traumatic memories, this may be the therapy for you. It also helps in overcoming problematic thoughts and behaviors and developing effective coping and interpersonal skills. Now, If you are in a space where you feel like you're at the beginning of your healing journey with your therapy, I would highly recommend the trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy because it really gets into 
taking time to actually process the traumatic memories that you have. The next type of therapy, which I've talked about in a previous um, episode of the Childhood Trauma Series, is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR. EMDR uses a patient's own rapid rhythmic eye movements, and these eye movements dampen the power of emotionally charged memories of past traumatic events. And this is how it works. Your therapist will move their fingers back and forth in front of your face and ask you to follow these hand motions with your eyes. At the same time, the EMDR therapist will have you recall a disturbing event or the trauma that you endured. This will include the emotions and body sensations that go along with it. And gradually, the therapist will guide you to shift your thoughts to more pleasant ones. Some therapies use alternatives to finger movements such as hand or toe tapping or even musical tones. Now, personally, I did a little bit of research on this and I heard that like a lot of people were saying, oh, this may just make you desensitized to all emotions versus the one that you're trying to pinpoint. So if you are interested in this eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, please do some extensive research and truly ask um, your therapist or ask other people, or maybe there's a YouTube video showing somebody's experience. Just please do your research on it because this is still a newer type of therapy. I think when I was looking it up, it was developed in the 1980s, which was not that long ago. So do some research, but that is also an option for you. The next type of therapy that could help with your childhood trauma is exposure therapy. Exposure therapy is a technique in behavior therapy to treat anxiety disorders. Exposure therapy involves exposing the patient to the anxiety source or its context without the intention to cause any danger. Doing so is thought to help them overcome their anxiety or distress. For example, somebody who has a fear of snakes might be instructed to handle a snake or someone with social anxiety might be instructed to give a speech in front of a small audience. The next one is group therapy. And I think um, if I had to suggest going to therapy for the first time or if you didn't really want to do a one-on-one type of thing, I think group therapy is great. Group therapy is often a form of therapy that people who are grieving go to because something that I noticed about group therapy is you don't really have to talk much. You can sit and you can listen and maybe say like one or two things until you warm up to the group therapy setting. But group therapy is a form of psychotherapy in which a group of patients who are all experiencing similar things where they come together and they meet and describe and discuss their problems under the supervision of a therapist. So you do have one therapist there, but then you have a group of other people who are also in various stages of their healing process there with you as well. And what I have, you know, from doing a little bit of research and and watching what I have learned is that you can also heal. And I think this is probably what you guys are getting a little bit out of this podcast is that you can also heal from hearing other people's stories. It can help you a lot in your personal healing process. So if you aren't ready, quite ready for your own therapist, maybe looking into group therapy would be great. 
And the last type of therapy that I want to touch on is art therapy. Art therapy is a form of psychotherapy involving the encouragement of free self-expression through painting, drawing, or modeling. Art therapy is an effective treatment for people experiencing developmental, medical, educational, social, or psychological impairment. For example, if you can't articulate what you're feeling, it may be easier to express it through art. A key goal in art therapy is to improve or restore the client's functioning and his or her sense of personal well-being. Now it's time to start therapy. You've taken inventory and you've decided that therapy is maybe the right option for you. And if that is you, I suggest that you find a therapist who empowers you and makes you feel comfortable and safe. And I want you to know that it is very much so okay to shop around to find the right therapist for you. Even if you get a recommendation from a friend, oh my God, my therapist is great. You would love him or her. That don't mean that this is the perfect therapist for you or, oh my gosh, this therapist is number one in the state. This therapist has won so many awards. That doesn't mean that that therapist is right for you. You may not find the right fit or the perfect fit on the first try. Honestly, finding a therapist is just like dating. If you are looking for your husband, it may not be boyfriend number one, may not be boyfriend number two, might not even be boyfriend number three. I really think that it is a process and it is a journey. I was lucky enough to find my therapist on try number one, but who's to say that I'm going to stay with her for the rest of my life. And next, I want you guys to search for a therapist who specializes in the type of therapy that you're interested in. So all of those types of therapies that I listed above, there's also a few other ones. Um, I think one of the most common ones that I didn't talk about was talk therapy where you're just talking out your problems um, and just getting used to articulating how you're feeling. And I think that my therapist does specialize in talk therapy as well as CBT therapy. But that is also an option if you just want someone to Someone who is licensed to talk to, that's one that you can choose from. But I suggest if you are going into therapy wanting to heal your childhood trauma, I suggest that you find a therapist who practices trauma-informed therapy or has specializations in trauma, if at all possible. Now, I suggest using BetterHelp because that is how I found my therapist and I was able to do a little questionnaire and say, I want my therapist to be a black woman. I want my therapist to be um, faith-based and all of these things. Granted, I was not matched with a black therapist, even though I said I wanted my therapist to be of color, but I did get a woman like I requested. And I gave her a shot and I actually really, really like her. Now, I have included my a link down in the show notes for BetterHelp. This episode is not sponsored by BetterHelp, but y'all, one thing that I want to share with y'all that y'all don't know is that my dad has PTSD. He was in the military and he just signed up for better help last week, two weeks ago now. So I'm so excited that he took that step and he is going to talk to a professional about what he's been feeling, what he's been going through in all these years. And I take that as a win, you guys. But yes, I suggest better help. But if you are like, 
Tyra, I want a black therapist. Like, I want a black lady. Like, that's it. There is also therapyforblackgirls.com, which is also a podcast that I do listen to. So if you have never heard of Therapy for Therapy for Black Girls, I suggest you listen to their podcast, follow them on social media, and check out their website because they have a black woman therapy database that you can look for therapists of color in your area and you can go from there. Now, my personal experience with BetterHelp was I was just so sick and tired of being sick and tired, y'all. I was so sick and tired of not being the best version of myself. And I was like, okay, enough is enough. So I ended up signing up for BetterHelp and I took the little survey. As I said, I gave all of my requirements for a therapist and they matched me with a therapist in like 24 hours. And I ended up getting my current therapist that I have been with literally since the end of 2019 and or was it 2019 2018 somewhere up in there I started going to therapy y'all and I've been with her ever since and that first conversation what I said in my mind was Tyra you are in therapy to become the best version of yourself you're gonna do that unleash it right now unleash everything so y'all I unloaded on her I let her know everything that I was that was going on and that's when I realized that I had a little bit of childhood trauma just based off of the things that we were talking about and after that first session it was like a weight was lifted off my shoulders and I was like this was definitely one of the best decisions I could have made Y'all, it is never too late to start your healing process. Like our affirmation says, healing our mental health is an ongoing process. And even though it won't happen overnight, we can choose to wake up every day and do everything we can to help ourselves heal. I am a huge advocate for therapy and I highly recommend that you all try it, especially if you're experiencing any of the symptoms or mental health issues that we talked about in today's episode. But if you're not ready for therapy, I suggest that you start with the Mindful app, which I actually did before I started going to therapy. I started with mindful apps and my favorite one is Calm. So in the show notes below, I have included a free 60 day guest pass for you guys. So check that out. Give it a try. I absolutely love the sleep stories. Y'all, if you've listened to the podcast, you already know I absolutely love Calm. And I also included a link down below for better help for you guys. Now, before we get out of here, I want you to pat yourself on the back because deciding to prioritize your mental health is a huge step and it is worth celebrating. Uh-oh, y'all, you know what time it is. It is time for our fun closing segment. Now today, we are going to be doing recommendation of the day, and it is a little different. I'm gonna give you guys three recommendations of the day. I'm gonna give you one food recommendation because y'all absolutely love the last one, and I got so many DMs of people trying the Oreo cones from Target. So I'm gonna do food home and one personal development recommendation so 
in typical Tyra fashion, we're gonna start with a food because that's what we start in the house, honey, okay? The food, we always gotta have good food. So this is not an actual food, but this is a condiment that I absolutely freaking love and it is called Truff Hot Sauce, y'all. I got a link down in the show notes below for y'all. Get it. That should be all I have to say, but I'm going to tell y'all a little bit about it. I can eat truff on anything. It is a truffle hot sauce. It's not too spicy. It's vegan. It's a little bit sweet. It's thicker hot sauce, so it doesn't just drip everywhere. And oh my gosh, I normally eat mine on my avocado toast or lately, y'all. I've been making custard eggs and you might be like ew what is custard eggs y'all it's fire it's so good it's literally eggs heavy cream your seasonings and you put it in a water bath and you put it into the oven for like 15 minutes and you want your eggs to be custardy not runny because I don't like my eggs super duper runny but I don't like them hard boiled either so I like them to be custardy and then I take some bread toast it and I just eat it like that oh my god and I put the truff on there with a little bit of green onion y'all my mouth is watering now truff hot sauce is a luxury hot sauce but you know here on affirmations for black girls podcast we live in a life of luxury so oh my gosh my mouth is watering get you some truff hot sauce they have the original then they have the hotter sauce and then they also have a white truffle hot sauce it's fire. It's just so good. Like, y'all, go to the link in my show notes. Go to the link in my show notes. Go to the link in my show notes. Tag me in the pictures of you trying your truff hot sauce. Try it on your avocado toast. Try it on, like, your eggs. You could try it on pizza. Y'all, oh, my gosh, it is amazing. Number one recommendation, 10 out of 10, recommend. Absolutely love it. Now, my second recommendation for y'all is for the home. And I was actually using mine today and I was like, wow, why did I not recognize how clutch this was when my mama bought it for me? So I have a shark steam mop, right? Y'all, it comes with so many attachments. Now I was like, I'm not about to do all this attachment stuff. Like I'm just going to use it for a mop and leave it at that. Y'all, I put one of them attachments on there today and I was cleaning my baseboards. Oh my God gosh it was amazing now the steam mop has a couple of settings where you can actually steam clean your floor so it sanitizes your floor and it really really cleans it versus just rubbing a lukewarm mop with cleaning spray or you know cleaning solution on it onto your floor it actually sanitizes it and I have a dog so I need my floor to be sanitized because she's older so sometimes she will use the bathroom all across the floor and she may do it when I'm not home so it'll dry up so I need to sanitize my floor so that's why I got the steam mop but then they had the little attachments where you could just like spray the hot steam on the baseboards and then you could just wipe it away Y'all, get you a steam mop. I think my mama got mine from Bed Bath & Beyond, but I'm gonna put the link down in the show notes for you. So you can just go ahead and get your own steam mop because it's way better than a regular mop. I don't own a regular mop because I don't feel like sloshing no water across the floor. So it comes with a pad that you put on there and then you could just spray the steam across the floor. And you could also put cleaning spray if you want, but the whole idea of the map is, the mop is that you don't have to use so much cleaning spray because the water is so hot, which it is. But I still use like the little spray mop stuff from Target, the Method brand. And uh, it's just amazing. And my house smells so good. The baseboards is clean. So your girl is happy. 
And my third recommendation of the day, you guys, is a book. This is the personal development recommendation. And lately, I've been listening to Audible a lot. And the first book that I listened to on Audible was called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a F. The F word, yes. And it is a book on personal development. And the biggest takeaway that I have from that book is we put so much stress on ourselves to keep up with society and all of these things. And if we take a second to look at what we're caring about, we will realize that we care about so much more stuff than we should. We care about stuff that we should not give a F about. And that's what the the book is about. It's about alleviating stress in your life, alleviating unnecessary stress. It's a great read. It's a quick read. And if you have not read the book, I highly recommend it. I'm going to link that down in the show notes. Everything is linked down in the show notes. And with that being said, you guys, I hope you enjoyed my recommendations of the day. If you do decide to try out any of these three recommendations, take a picture, upload it to Instagram, Twitter, tag us at Affirmations of Black Girls. If it's Twitter, tag us at AFBG underscore podcast. And let let me know that you're enjoying the recommendations. I think I gave some great recommendations today, but y'all gonna, y'all gonna be the judge of that, okay? So thank you guys so much for listening and make sure that you join us again next week. But before you go, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, and leave us a review and follow us on IG and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening. And I will see you again next week. This was Affirmations for Black Girls.